Fired Up show starts right now. Welcome, everybody. Welcome Fired Up right here on WJMS Media. This is Steve. I'm your host, and we are going to get into the political machinery here in the United States. Uh, We've got a few interesting stories that we're going to talk about today, but I want to open up uh, with kind of a lightning round of some of the events that have occurred over the past week, uh, starting with uh, the ongoing hot war in Israel uh, versus Hamas. And we learned early this week that Hamas had released uh, two of its hostages, uh, a mother and daughter from Evanston, Indiana, I believe. And uh, they were uh, released uh, actually sort of suddenly that um, notice was given that there were two hostages that were being handed over to the International American uh, International Red Cross and uh, they were escorted to the uh, border between Gaza and Israel. And uh, as of this broadcast, I believe they have been repatriated home to their families. So we're, we're very happy for the release of these two women. Um, we know that their families are you know, uh, overjoyed and, and appreciative. And uh, we hope that perhaps uh, this will be the start of a broader campaign by Hamas to uh, release additional hostages over time. Now, you know, there are some who are looking at this kind of uh, in a side-eye fashion, and, you know, I admit uh, that to a certain extent I am one of them, asking them why they uh, chose to release uh, two hostages Uh, Questions being raised include, is it a a ploy uh, that they are using these hostages to buy uh, additional time before Israel launches its ground offensive, which, uh, according to media reports, is uh, imminent, uh, but we still don't have any uh, announcement or indication that Israel is going to send, you know, its... uh, uh, you know, 100,000 or 150,000 troops into Gaza uh, in its effort to uh, basically eliminate the terrorist organization from the field. Uh, we will see if uh, Hamas uh, is going to release additional hostages in return for more delays in the upcoming ground offensive. Now, I'm not one you know, for necessarily looking a gift horse in the mouth. And as I said, I'm, I'm very happy for the families of uh, these two women. Um, but again, you know, you have to look at it in a, a context of saying, of asking the question of why. Um, and, you know, other questions that might come up is if uh, Hamas has actually, uh, in addition to uh, you know, soldiers, um, you know, and, and civilians, some of whom are, you know, children and reportedly infants, others who are, you know, elderly and have, you know, uh, medical conditions and, and serious issues that need to be addressed. Why did they release uh, these two women who, at least by all accounts so far, appear to be relatively healthy and uh, unharmed from their captivity. So it remains to be seen. And of course, uh, the, the, the broader media is looking at this uh, with, with great interest. And we'll keep an eye on it and let you know uh, what information comes out based on what uh, they are finding. Uh, otherwise, you know, Israel continues uh, it's air assault, uh, airstrikes, rocket strikes, as well as Hamas uh, continues its hostilities, uh, launching missiles at Israel, um, and you know the defense system of Israel, you know called Iron Dome, uh, is successfully uh, continues to uh, to uh, eliminate. Uh, the overwhelming majority of these missiles, although there are still some strikes that occur within Israel uh, at the present time. So we will um, we'll keep an eye on it. Uh, as I said, we're, we're thankful 
for these two women. Uh, we wish them the best of, of luck in uh, recovering from you know what is obviously a traumatic experience uh, over two weeks of being held hostage. So uh, we'll see what happens. Uh, in other news, the uh, Republican caucus tried yet again um, to elect uh, a speaker or more specifically to elect uh, Representative Jim Jordan as uh, Speaker of the House of Representatives on two occasions in the past week. Uh, the second vote, uh, he was unsuccessful, falling short by something to the tune of like 16 or 17 votes. And then the third attempt, actually losing ground and losing by you know over 20 votes, uh, at which point uh, he has withdrawn from his uh, quest to become Speaker of the House, leaving, of course, that body still without a speaker, uh, unable to uh, do any legislative work, and basically moving back to square one in the process of finding a candidate who can garner the 217 votes necessary to become Speaker. Uh, a couple of things that and developments that uh, came up late in the week is we now see that there are uh, at least seven candidates uh, among the Republican caucus who uh, are vying uh, for consideration uh, to be speaker. And um, also, and I, I found this interesting, uh, a news report surfaced and in an interview w w that was on uh, MSNBC, uh, there was a suggestion of uh, the Democrats actually moving forward with a, uh, a candidate for speaker. And while this is nothing new, there have been discussions about uh, having a Democratic uh, speaker which you know, essentially is a non-starter in a Republican-controlled House. Uh, the new uh, consideration, and Congressman uh, Jamie Rankin uh, spoke of this on uh, MSNBC uh, earlier in the week, and he raised the idea of uh, the Democrats uh, nominating uh, former uh, Representative Liz Cheney uh, to be Speaker of the House uh, and as a, a move that the Democratic caucus and, you know, at least a half a dozen uh, Republicans uh, indicated at least early on that it, it was something that they would seriously consider. Now, having uh, the Democrats uh, nominate a Republican to be Speaker uh, essentially solves you know two problems. One, you know, obviously, uh, if they have you know their full uh, caucus, uh, I believe it's 213 members um, behind uh, the the potential uh, nomination, as well as as I said, five or six Republicans, then they would have enough to elevate uh, Liz Cheney to be Speaker of the House. Now, Liz Cheney is a, a serious conservative. You know, her, her bona fides as a conservative House member have been well proven. Uh, and, you know, the, the argument uh, that uh, you would be placing a Democrat in control of a Republican House uh, becomes somewhat moot uh, now. You know, this has been, as I said, I heard about it, uh, came across while I was uh, on the road and uh, spent you know, quite a bit of time over the past week trying to dig in and find you know, any corroborating uh, news uh, reports on this. Uh, so far, uh, I have not found any other major media that has taken up this story. Uh, right now, uh, it looks like it is an outlier. But it raises some interesting questions. You know, could a democratically nominated or a nominee of the Democrat caucus uh, 
who happens to be a Republican, uh, could they effectively uh, lead the House of Representatives? Now, as I said, it would take away the argument of a Democrat in charge of a Republican majority. Uh, but, you know, in, in addition to that, uh, Liz Cheney has proven that she is no fan or, or has no love for the MAGA wing of the Republican Party. Uh, you recall she was uh, co-chairman of the, um, the House investigating committee into the January 6th insurrection and has been a very vocal critic of the current uh, Republican Party to the point where they actually, after the committee uh, was concluded, she was actually ousted from the Republican Party and you know was primaried and lost her election to a relative newcomer uh, into the Republican political world. So, you know, it, it would be interesting to see Liz Cheney as Speaker of the House. There's no argument that, you know, she is not capable of handling the office of Speaker. However, it would, in one aspect, render the, uh, the Freedom Caucus uh, and, you know, the MAGA wing somewhat... Um, uh, reduced in power as you know as I said she is no fan of, of theirs and they uh, obviously uh, are not huge fans of Liz Cheney so we'll see as I said it, it looks like it was floated as a trial balloon um, but it raises uh, some interesting uh, possibilities for resolving the the speaker issue in the House of Representatives and we'll keep you apprised of uh, what's up with that. In other news, um, there you know we've been talking over the last um, many episodes uh, of the battles going on in red states over redistricting uh, efforts that have been undertaken and have been challenged in court. Um, so there's an article that came out uh, on Sunday from CNN. Uh, that talks about 10 states uh, where redistricting fights could determine which party controls the U.S. House. So the article that came out of CNN, uh, written by Frederica Schoten, uh, and I apologize if I mispronounced her name, cites battles in uh, some 10 states uh, that could you know, change the landscape of uh, control of the House of Representatives after the 2024 election. Uh, reading some parts of the article, uh, it leads off with North Carolina. Uh, Republicans who control that state legislature are drafting uh, district lines that could flip as many as four Democratic hell seats. Democrats, meanwhile, could pick up seats in legal skirmishes now playing out in New York, Louisiana, Georgia, and other states. And we've talked about several of these in, in uh, past episodes. Uh, the net result is the fate of anywhere from 14 to 18 House seats across nearly a dozen states could turn on the results of these fights. Republicans, uh, as you know, currently hold uh, a very slim five-seat majority in the U.S. House, uh, and you know that has been uh, part and parcel of the GOP's uh, struggle uh, to elect a new speaker. And according to David Wasserman, uh, who follows redistricting closely uh, as, as a senior editor with the Cook Political Report, uh, given that the majority is so narrow, every outcome matters to the fight for House control in 2024. Uh, some other factors that experts say uh, leading to the slew of consequential and unresolved redistricting disputes uh, just months before uh, include pandemic-related delays in completing the 2020 census, uh, litigation that has been frozen in place until the U.S. Supreme Court uh, came out with their surprise ruling in June, which found that a Republican-crafted redistricting plan in Alabama disadvantaged black voters in the state and was in violation of the landmark 1965 uh, Voting Rights Act. 
And we talked about this as recently as uh, last week's podcast and, and several times prior to that. Um, so the, the idea is that this decision by the Supreme Court uh, is, quote, functionally reanimating all of these dormant cases. Uh, and that's according to Adam Kincaid, uh, who's president and executive director of the National Republican Redistricting Trust, uh, which supports the GOP's redistricting efforts. Uh, he says it is too soon to tell whether Republicans or uh, Democrats will emerge with the advantage by Election Day 2024, but in his view, either party could gain or lose only about two seats over redistricting. Well, we'll, we'll stick a pin in that comment and see how, um, how clairvoyant uh, Mr. Kincaid is. Uh, so... The, the idea and one of the points in the article um, is, you know, how incumbent it is on Democrats to kind of run the table in, you know, the rest, the, you know, many of these states to gain any edge. And, you know, some of the some of the states that they're referring to and we'll, we'll go through the list, uh, Alabama. And we've talked about this, uh, as I said, in prior podcasts. Um, where the court action or the court order initially was to, to create a uh, minority favored site and one that was um, you know minority leaning so that they had um, more opportunity to choose uh, candidates of their choosing. And you know in, in addition to that, uh, there is a, a battle in Florida where a state judge in September struck down congressional lines for northern Florida. And uh, that had been you know, championed and orchestrated by Governor Ron DeSantis, uh, ruling that the Republican governor's map had improperly diluted black voting power. And again, it's another one that we've talked about here uh, in Georgia. A redistricting case now before a federal judge could create a more competitive seat for Democrats in the Atlanta suburbs. Um, the uh, notion there being, you know, that since the Atlanta suburbs are, you know, a majority minority area, that the district should more effectively represent that. Uh, there's a battle in Kentucky uh, where the Kentucky Supreme Court could soon decide whether a map drawn by the state's Republican-controlled legislature amounts to what Democrats uh, assert is an extreme partisan gerrymander in violation of the state's constitution. Uh, similarly, in Louisiana, uh, basing on the outcomes uh, that have led to the challenge in Alabama, uh, this could pave the way for a new congressional map in Louisiana ahead of the 2024 election. Um, but, you know, right now it is uh, being weighed down with a, a bunch of appeals. Um, so, you know, New Mexico, Republicans in New Mexico say the congressional lines drawn by the Democrats who control state government amount to an illegal gerrymander under the state's constitution. Uh, it's based on a swing district along the U.S. border with Mexico if Republicans prevail, the seat now held by a Democratic rep uh, named Gabe Vasquez could become more favorable to Republicans. And then there's New York. Uh, notably, um, you know, in the 2020 election, Republicans flipped four U.S. House seats uh, in the 2022 midterm, excuse me, uh, victories which helped secure their party's majority in the chamber. So, you know, there are legal fights going on in New York over redistricting. Uh, however, that could erase those gains. Uh, North Carolina. North Carolina is another one where the legislature, where Republicans hold a supermajority, is drawing new congressional lines that observers uh, say could prove a windfall for the GOP and boost the party's chances of retaining its House majority next year. Uh, so... And uh, South Carolina is another one. Uh, redistricting case uh, before the Supreme Court centers on the future of a Charleston area seat held by Republican Representative Nancy Mace, uh, who uh, 
earlier this year, a three-judge panel concluded that lines for the coastal, coastal first congressional district, uh, as was drawn by the state's GOP law ma- uh, lawmakers, amounted to an unconstitutional racial gerrymander. Then we move over to Utah. The state Supreme Court, uh, in a case that was heard in July, is considering whether it even has the authority to weigh in on map drawing decisions by the GOP-controlled state legislatures. Uh, Republicans in the state are arguing that the court's power over redistricting decisions is limited. So, you know, those are a few. Uh, There are more. Uh, And, you know, these fights over congressional maps uh, are ongoing in several other states, ranging from Texas to Tennessee. But those cases might not be resolved in time to affect next year's elections. So clearly, you know, battle lines have been drawn. Uh, things are, are moving uh, both in uh, Republicans' favor as well as Democrats' favor. And as, as we said earlier, it's too soon to tell how uh, these battles will, will shake out and what that will mean uh, in terms of the representation of the state with regard to, you know, uh, minorities and majorities and so forth. So we'll keep an eye on it. Uh, we'll bring you any developments that happen. Uh, but, you know, the, the, the struggle continues. But as we have said many times on you know, this platform, um, regardless of your political affiliation, the key is to you know, be out there, be active, be engaged and be voting, whether you're Republican or Democrat. Uh, it it uh, is critical that you get out there and represent uh, and bring you know friends, family, neighbors, everybody uh, in your circle uh, who is of voting age. You need to make sure that, number one, that you are registered to vote. Number two, uh, that your uh, registration, if you already are, is still valid and is still accurate with your current address and so forth. Uh, you need to make sure that when election days come, that you show up with uh, a you know required identification and some backups. If you know there is is question about your residency, you may need to show you know utility bill, telephone bill other proof of residence that places you in the voting district that you are trying to vote in. And, you know, let's not forget that, you know, while our attention seems to be drawn to November 2024, there are elections happening all over the country uh, in state and local races that are going to occur in, you know, November 2023 that is Uh, in the next two weeks. And in some states, early voting has already begun for the November uh, 2023 elections. I know that's the case here uh, in the the state I live in, in Pennsylvania, that November 7th is uh, an election day and that early voting has uh, already been scheduled to begin. So, you know, find out when voting is occurring where it's going to occur, validate and confirm your registration. And then most importantly, on these election days, even if it's not the national election day, these interim elections that occur throughout the year are vitally important to make sure that your voice is being heard uh, by our elected officials. Uh, and you know, when, when you hear you know, the story we're going to cover in the second half, uh, you'll see why uh, that can become critically important uh, for for yourselves and your communities and the country. So, you know, key is, as we, we always say here, get registered, verify your registration, um, you know, continually. Uh, I check mine at least monthly and make sure that you are accurately listed on the polls, I mean, on the rolls, and that you have all the required credentials you need in order to cast your vote on election day. And finally, don't ignore these local 
uh, and state elections. They are vitally important to building the foundation of uh, the, the national political strength that you want your party to have. So, all right, we will, um, we will jump off here and take our break. And then when we come back, uh, we're going to talk about something called Project 2025. Now, you may have heard about it in mainstream media. Uh, we're going to take a, a, uh, an overview look at it, and I'll, I'll bring you some more details. So you're listening to Fired Up right here on WJMS Media. Stay tuned. We'll be right back after this break. I was going to get my voter ID card because they said you had to have it in order to be able to vote. When I got there, I approached the gentleman at the counter and told him what I wanted. I showed him my veteran's card. He said that was no good. He said you had to have a state-issued ID card in order to be able to vote. Seniors, women, people of color, young adults, those with low incomes, people with disabilities. Every citizen needs to review your documentation now to make sure you can vote in November. Please check with your local county election board to make sure the name on your photo ID closely matches the name you used when you registered to vote. Please contact us at 866-OUR-VOTE or 866-687-8683. And welcome back to Fired Up. So just as a reminder, we talked about in the PSA mentioned, make sure that you've got everything lined up uh, so that you are able to vote uh, not only in this coming uh, November, but in the national election and all elections in between. All right, as we... uh, as we teased out in the at the end of the first segment, uh, want to spend this segment talking about something that uh, I don't know if you have heard of or not, uh, but I pretty much guarantee that over the course of the next year you will hear about this, and it is uh, called Project Twenty Twenty Five. Donald Trump has mentioned it se- several times, as well as other Republicans. Uh, but this is uh, not just a, uh, a plan for uh, what the Republicans want to do. Uh, this is a uh, 42-year-old uh, project that has published, I believe, uh, 10 uh, volumes, uh, one every four years. Uh, and it really is a playbook a guide for Republican conservative governance in the United States. Uh, And the current version, uh, titled uh, Project 2025, uh, A Mandate for Leadership. And, you know, it it is a very hefty read. Uh, It is uh, like 920 pages long, uh, and it details uh, the... Uh, Republican uh, approach, the strategies that they want to implement uh, across all of American government. Uh, We're going to talk about that in this segment. And um, just by way of reference, if you want to get a taste of what's in the book, there's a really good article uh, in Politico came out on uh, the 19th of September, and it's titled Inside the Next Republican Revolution. If uh, you want to get you know, a taste of it and some further information, I absolutely suggest that you go to Politico and uh, download uh, this article. Uh, it, it's a pretty hefty read in and of itself uh, for an online article. It's about 16 or 17 pages uh, printed out. But it gives a uh, pretty in-depth look at what Project 2025 is and what uh, the conservative movement behind it uh, wants to see accomplished as a result of it. And, you know, the the driving entity behind this is uh, someone or, or a group that we've talked about on several occasions here on this show. 
It's called the Heritage Foundation. And they have put together a coalition of some of the uh, best and, and brightest conservative thinkers in the country in laying out this, uh, this guideline. And uh, most importantly, uh, it really details kind of the, the guidance of where the Republican Party uh, wants to go and what it wants to accomplish. Now, as you go through this, you'll, you'll recognize many parts of it from uh, the America First agenda that was uh, brought forward by former President Trump. And the objective of this is to hand the next Republican president, whether it's Donald Trump or not, uh, that takes uh, the Oval Office uh, as a guideline for them to follow. Now, you know, it, it talks about Project 2025, but it, you should understand that if the Republicans are not successful in, you know, the upcoming presidential election at the end of next year, uh, this could very easily or this will uh, be uh, resurfaced uh, each presidential cycle uh, and, and put into effect at the very next Republican election. Uh, win for the White House. So the uh, program uh, is uh, spearheaded by a gentleman named Paul Dans, D-A-N-S, and uh, he, along with uh, you know, other uh, current and former uh, Trump supporters and, and uh, officers and so forth, um, they have written the latest version of this document and you know their their approach um, is startling to say the least with the the depth and scope of what they intain, intend to do uh, their aim among other things as discussed in the book uh, has some 30 uh, chapters in it uh, deals with 30 different components of the federal government, basically everything in the federal government from education to defense to uh, economics to all of it. Uh, they aim, among other things, uh, as you read it, uh, to defund the Department of Justice, dismantle the FBI, break up the Department of Homeland Security, and eliminate the Departments of Education and Commerce. Uh, those are just a few of their larger targets. Uh, one of their goals is to give uh, the president complete power over quasi-independent agencies also, such as the Federal Communications Commission, uh, which makes and enforces the rules for television and internet companies uh, that have you know, anecdotally been the bane of Trump's political existence over the, the last uh, seven or eight years. They want to ensure that uh, what remains of the um, reduced, uh, redact, <laughs> uh, reduced government uh, after you know this this is implemented uh, is reliably MAGA conservative, uh, not just for the next president but for a long time to come, and that the White House maintains total control of it. Uh, in an, according to the article, in an effort to implement this agenda, which relies on another Reagan-era idea uh, called the unitary theory of the Constitution, under which Article II gives the president complete power over the federal bureaucracy. So this committee has, that has been brought together, um, you know, has brought together these, quote, conservative warriors um, you know, through uh, review of bar associations and state attorneys general offices, and their goal is to install them in general counsel offices throughout the federal bureaucracy. So, what, uh, among other things, and this, as I said, this comprehensive document will do uh, a, a great number of things if it is fully implemented. Um, it will, in fact, uh, make the federal government 
uh, actually and functionally answerable directly to the President of the United States. Now, this is a, a huge uh, shift away from how our federal government operates now in that there is a bureaucratic chain of command that leads up to the president uh, through uh, his or her cabinet and so forth. Um, but this is uh, something that this team and this document aims to change in that it will bring uh, control of all of these entities directly under the Oval Office. So, you know, a, a wide, um, wide variance from how our federal government has operated, um, you know, in, in the past. Uh, this is, you know, a uh, conservative recognition that they want to uh, totally eliminate the so-called deep state. Uh, they believe uh, that they have to create almost from scratch a workforce that won't sacrifice competence to, for example, Trump's obsession with loyalty above everything else. So translating that, they want a workforce in the federal government that is, while they are competent to do their jobs, that they adhere to these uh these Republican and conservative principles uh, as their operating guide. So, you know, some of the some of the points that they they made. And again, I encourage you to read the Politico article. It is you know, it, it's long, but it definitely uh, gives you a good feel for what this um, what this uh, this plan occurs. Um, you know, and quoting some engaged in the 2025 project say they intend to move beyond what uh, has been called updated Reaganism and uh, the, po the quote post 1950s National Review fusionism uh, that supplied the intellectual construct for the conservative movement in the mid to late uh, 20th century. You know, while they're saying, you know, how much they admire Ronald Reagan. This is no longer the 1980s. It's 2023. It's not just a big government we're up against, but a weaponized one. So the, the idea here is that they are going to uh, make uh, through uh, uh, legislative and administrative fiat um, adherence to conservative principles as the guiding uh, philosophy of how our federal government will operate. Uh, so, you know, according to the article, uh, his quote is saying, we have, we have to be thinking mechanically about how to take these institutions over. Uh, they, the, uh, the team that's being reassembled uh, comes out of the Trump Office of Management and Budget uh, and, you know, consists and includes uh, drafting fresh executive orders, playbooks, and memoranda for cabinet secretaries to be, quote, ready on day one for, of the next transition, whatever is necessary to seize control of the administrative state. And that is uh, among their primary tasks. So, you know, according to Paul Dance and others involved in Project 2025, uh, they, they admit, they concede that their assault on the, quote, administrative state uh, is not going to focus on politically delicate entitlements such as Social Security, Medicare and Medicaid, Veterans Administration programs and retirement plans, unemployment compensation and agricult agricultural price support programs, all of which amount to about half of the $6.3 trillion federal uh, budget. That is not going to be on the front burner, according to Paul Dance. Uh, and, you know, stepping out of the article for a second, it, it's obvious as to why they would say that, because these are the, you know, the so-called third rails of government. Um, anytime that conservatives talk about uh, changes to Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, 
and these other programs, the, the, the hue and cry that comes back from the general public is loud and angry. Um, people are really uh, concerned about anything that's going to mess with those programs. Now, while um, many who are on the conservative side of the political spectrum uh, will recognize some of the things we'll, we'll bring up in this conversation, uh, one of the things they are uh, stating that they are working on uh, as something of a priority is uh, a slew of detailed plans on the Department of Justice. Uh, one uh, approach is that would allow the White House to defund a lot of functions. Uh, one such proposal would require Congress to start with a 25% cut in FBI funding to eliminate the Bureau's intelligence capabilities, which have transformed it, according to the article, from a, quote, law enforcement agency to a domestic intelligence agency. Another proposal would gain White House control of the Solicitor General and bring Justice Department attorneys into line with the President's wishes, as well as allow them to raise legitimate questions about election fraud without fear of retribution. Uh, these two things are, of course, uh, key takeaways from um, the, the battles that former President Trump uh, was embroiled in uh, throughout his presidency and uh, in, in recent years. Um, you know, again, uh, the center, one of the, the component organizations, uh, the Center for Renewing America, uh, headed uh, or, or part of whom is uh, Jeffrey Clark, whose name you probably will remember from the final days of the Trump administration uh, when he was uh, put up for attorney general and, uh, you know, almost, almost, excuse me, precipitated a mass resignation by Justice Department uh, attorneys in December 2020 uh, after Trump had threatened to make him acting attorney general uh, seeking to eliminate Trump's first term wish to uh, eliminate any independence by the Department of Justice. Uh, furthering the Trump agenda, the uh, Center for Renewing America, or CRA, uh, is working on a paper that will take classification decisions out of the hand of deep state bureaucrats. It's developing other plans to allow a president to halt congressionally mandated funding at his pleasure, as Trump did when he held up the foreign aid to Ukraine, allegedly to pressure its president, Volodymyr Zelensky, to investigate President Joe Biden and his son Hunter, eventually touching off the impeachment crisis. So, you know, the, the idea here is, again, to consolidate the bureaucratic power of the federal government uh, into the office of the president, uh, which, you know, they argue is how the founders intended it to be vis-a-vis -vis the, the segment in Article 2 of the Constitution, which states that ad executive and administrative power is held at the presidency. Now, while uh, mainstream conservative and, and ultra-conservative um, uh, Republicans are lauding uh, Project 2025 as the future of Republican politics in this country. Not all um, are, are in agreement with what Project 2025 seeks to do. Uh, according to the article, some conservative scholars and government experts say that Project 2025's grand plans to transform the federal bureaucracy are often comically naive. Not only are they unworkable, critics contend, but if they're implemented, they will likely only render the federal government even more incompetent than conservatives now say it is, and certainly more chaotic and amateurish than what occurred in uh, Donald Trump's first term. As you may re recall, uh, early on in, in uh, Trump's first term, 
he uh, pushed forward something he called Schedule F, which was a proposal to change the status of uh, government employees uh, from, you know, control by their their agencies to to bring them under direct control of the office of the White House. So right now, um, the the president can request uh, a roughly about 4000 federal employees to submit their resignations. And this typically happens at the change of administration, uh, especially if the that change includes a change of party. What uh, this Schedule F would have done was increase that number to more than 20,000 government employees, basically eviscerating uh, the leader, the experience and leadership of the federal government uh, and replacing them with uh, new uh, employees whose uh, sole uh, expertise building going into their position would be through a series of video trainings uh, that, you know, is very much in line with uh, the Trump way of thinking. Uh, The article says, in many ways, the notion that one can replace decades of on-the-ground experience, say, in running a a healthcare bureaucracy or policing the border through a video training program is very Trumpian. Who better to hire legions of unctuous but untried newbies, after all, than the man who declared, quote, I can fix it, and who routinely used to say, whether the subject was COVID-19 or nuclear weapons, that he knew more than the scientists and the generals. So, you know, the the idea is um, that, you know, the, the thinking behind this uh, approach says that uh, they actually seem to believe that all you need to know about running a country that underpins the global order is something you can know by being a mom. Now, while this plan has uh, some elements that, uh, in, in all fairness, uh, I think are noteworthy and should be, uh, in some form or fashion, part of how we uh, establish our government, there are a lot of other points in it that just make me go, say what? Uh, for example, there's a quote in the article uh, from Mr. Dan's that says, We have a lot of faith in our common man. We are the party of the forgotten man, the citizen farmer, the folk who really make this country run. Uh, and this from the same party that works so diligently and so hard to reduce uh, benefits uh, for families who you know have you know attacked and stripped uh, you know women of uh, most of their reproductive rights. Uh, yeah, you have a, a party of the forgotten man, citizens, farmer, the folk who really make this country one run. So you know there there is uh, some hypocrisy in this project 2025. Uh, but, you know, there are a lot of other things in it that would be uh, scary uh, if they were implemented. Uh, so, and in, in the other thing to keep in mind with this is that this is not a plan for uh, if Donald Trump is returned to office. This is a plan that would be implemented regardless of which Republican uh, uh, wins the White House. Uh, And, you know, as it says, uh, it would be a mistake to think that even if Trump somehow goes away, either into retirement or into prison, uh, Republicanism will change with him gone. That's because Trump's success in merging the conservative movement with his political persona is really an extension of the mistrust of elites in Washington, and that sentiment won't subside anytime soon. Uh, as as was written, untangling uh, the Republican Party and conservative movement from Donald Trump won't be easy. Uh, the new right and now national conservatives are in a condition of fracture and flux, and it has become hard to tell any longer who belongs on the right and who doesn't. 
Uh, and we, we see much evidence of that in you know, all the recent drama that has come out of the uh, Republican caucus in the U.S. House of Representatives. Uh, so, you know, as I said, this uh, they they are looking at making it easier to fire federal workers. Uh, this plan also talks about um, prosecution for distributing abortion pills by mail and abolishing recently established diversity, equity and inclusion initiatives at the Department of Defense. Um, the the document, as I said, is uh, over 900 pages, uh, has contributions from over 30 officers. There are 30 separate chapters in each dealing with a specific part of the federal government. Uh, and it, you know, it, in it, it defines the problem as they see it and what the, the remedies or solutions are also as they see it. Uh, so there's, there's clear uh, guidance here um, you know, it, it, it just is a top-to-bottom overhaul of the government, uh, starting with the Department of Defense uh, and moving down through each, uh, each position or each segment of the government. So there's, there's a lot to digest in this. It is not something that, you know, I obviously could do justice to in a, a simple half an hour. But um, let me just take a, uh, a minute here and read you the chapter list of this um, document so that you get a taste for what it contains. All right, so the, the document, uh, the book, starts off with you know, a descriptive note and introduction from Paul Danz. Uh, there's a foreword written by Kevin D. Roberts, um, Ph.D., who uh, calls A Promise to America. And then it goes into specific sections. Uh, taking the reins of government is section one. Uh, chapter one, the White House office. Chapter two, executive office of the President of the United States. Chapter three, central personnel agencies. And that's managing the bureaucracy. Uh, the next section, section two, uh, now gets into the common defense. And it, chapter four, uh, it deals with the Department of Defense, Chapter 5, Department of Homeland Security, Chapter 6, Department of State, Chapter 7, the Intelligence Community, Chapter 8, Media Agencies, and uh, these include U.S. Agency for Global Media and the Corporation for Public Broadcasting, which, by the way, they want to totally uh, defund of federal support dollars. Uh, chapter 9, Agency for International Development. Uh, and then Section 3 uh, deals with the general welfare. Uh, chapter 10 is the Department of Agriculture. Chapter 11, the Department of Education. Chapter 12, Department of Energy and Related Commissions. Chapter 13, the Environmental Protection Agency. Chapter 14, Department of Health and Human Services. Chapter 15, Department of Housing and Urban Development. Chapter 16, Department of the Interior. Chapter 17, Department of Justice. Chapter 18, Department of Labor and Related Agencies. Chapter 19, the Department of Transportation. Chapter 20, Department of Veterans Affairs. Then Section 4 in the book deals with the economy. Uh, chapter 21, uh, the Department of Commerce. Chapter 22, uh, Department of the Treasury. Chapter 23, the Export-Import Bank. Uh, chapter 24, the Federal Reserve. Chapter 25, the Small Business Administration. Chapter 26, uh, Trade. And subheadings, the case for fair trade and the case for free trade. And then it moves to Section 5, which is Chapter 27, uh, Federal Financial Regulatory Agencies including the SEC and related agencies and the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. Uh, chapter 28 uh, addresses the Federal Communications Commission. Chapter 29 addresses the Federal Election Commission. And Chapter 30 deals with the Federal Trade Commission. So that, that's just a quick list of the, the chapters and segments, but you can see that it, it is a, 
uh, all-encompassing um, dissection of the federal government. Now, you know, as I said, we could spend a, a week-long podcast going through uh, the content of what their plan uh, is for each of those departments. But, uh, you know, suffice to say that the key components are they want to bring all of those departments directly under the supervision of the office of the president. Uh, and that alone uh, is, can be problematic. As, as we saw in the Trump administration, he tried repeatedly to get uh, his, you know, the Department of Justice and the FBI to, an to be answerable directly to him. And it was only through being blocked uh, by Congress and the courts that he was not able to do that. Under this plan, under this Project 2025 plan, the president would uh, essentially be elevated to the role of king. He or she would be the one person who would make decisions on, on each of those agencies about what they can and cannot do, what they will or will not do, and who uh, will work there. So this, this gives you uh, a picture of what uh, the conservative Republican future United States of America would look like. Uh, it would look a lot like an autocracy. Uh, it would look a lot like a uh, dystopian uh, you know, dictatorship uh, in, in the guise of a constitutional republic. And, and by the way, don't forget that there's still an active effort uh, afoot to garner enough states to hold a constitutional convention and drastically edit or rewrite, rewrite the Constitution of the United States. So, you know, for uh, the voters out there, for, you know, Democrats, independents, uh, and, you know, moderate Republicans, uh, all of this is going to impact all of us. And, you know, we need to make sure that we are engaged, that we are paying attention, that we are educating ourselves, and that we are preparing to, uh, to vote and make our voices heard uh, to address this. Now, this may be something that you agree with, or it may be something that you disagree with. Um, but I think there are pieces in here that fit both categories. Uh, as I said, you know, there, there are elements of the conservative agenda that I support, but there are a lot more elements of it that uh, I have difficulty supporting if not being able to support them at all. So, you know, assess your feelings, get educated, do your digging, dig wider, dig deeper, as we always say. And, you know, exercise your right to vote accordingly. So, well, that's going to wrap it up for this week. If you have any comments or questions, uh, please feel free to email the show at fireduppradio at yahoo.com. I look forward to receiving and responding to your comments. Uh, we uh, will touch on this Project 2025 again. This is not something we can deal with in just a single 30-minute uh, segment of one episode. Uh, and in closing, I want to just make a quick program announcement. November is National Diabetes Awareness Month. As a person who has um, diabetes, type 2 diabetes to be specific, uh, this is a subject that is dear to my heart. So in the month of November, we're going to be doing a series of segments in each podcast dealing with uh, diabetes and politics in particular. Uh, so look forward to that. I'm working very hard on putting that together, and hopefully uh, you will join and engage with that. All right, so everybody, please take care, stay safe, and I look forward to having more conversations with you in seven days. Mm -hmm.